How will we power our future? Can we create a healthy and clean economy? Climate One at the Commonwealth Club is at the forefront of the global debate about energy, economy, and the environment. Bringing together the brightest and most provocative leaders of our time, Climate One is the place where big ideas get heard. With thoughtful and insightful discussions on policy, business, science, and culture, Climate One founder Greg Dalton gets to the heart of the matter. It's our future. It's time to come together. Welcome to Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. I'm Greg Dalton. Today we're talking about the future of nuclear power in America. For the first time in 30 years, new nuclear plants are under construction in this country. Two reactors in Georgia and two more in South Carolina. Those plants are poised to benefit from $8 billion in loan guarantees President Obama offered in 2010 for what he called, quote, a new generation of safe, clean nuclear power plants, end quote. But the Fukushima disaster in Japan and energy markets in the United States are making new nuclear a tough sell. For the next hour, we'll discuss America's commercial atomic reactors, plans to extend their operating life, as well as build new ones. Our conversation will include questions from our live audience here at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco and three experts. On my right is Jim Boyd, former commissioner of the California Energy Commission and the state liaison to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. In his, on his right is Mar Fertel, CEO of the Nuclear Energy Institute, which is a policy and trade association for the nuclear industry. And Joe Rubin is a reporter for Center for Investigative Journalism, who has covered the nuclear industry. Please welcome them to Climate One. Uh, Mar Fertel, let's begin with you. Why should the United States build new nuclear plants? Well, the first, the first reason, Greg, is to make sure we have an adequate and reliable electricity supply because that's what nuclear plants produce. The other reason is as we as a society move to a cleaner, uh, less uh, emission, particularly lower carbon environment, nuclear is right now the only baseload source of electricity that produces electricity 24-7 and produces no greenhouse gases or other air pollutants while we're doing it. So if we want reliable electricity, we want to uh, maybe move to a cleaner environment when we produce it, Nuclear is an important part of the mix, not the only thing, but a very important part of it. Jim Boyd, uh, new nuclear is intertwined with the question of extending the life of the existing nuclear power plants, and we'll get into that. But what are the issues that ought to be considered uh, when extending the, the licensing time frame for the country's existing nuclear power plants? What's at stake there? Well, I think primarily the safety of the public and the fact that Plants were licensed for 40 years, the, the expected lifetime of all the components of the plants, and to extend them as is happening for another 20 years, um, one had best dig deeply into the condition of the plant, its ability to survive another 20 years, to not endanger anyone. And, and, and you know, with nuclear, it's very, you know, high rewards alleged, but incredibly high risks associated with anything that goes wrong. So if you're going to do that, and we've had a lot of experience in this country with the degradation of materials, the the almost hole in the head of the Davis-Bessey plant, the problems with the rust and corrosion and leakage, um, and it doesn't even apply of late to um, old, to uh, old materials. We're having leakage right here in California in two-year-old. Materials. So, I mean, that to we in California is the question, and it goes beyond materials. It goes into dealing with other th- threats, and Fukushima certainly reminds us of what threats are in California being a highly 
uh, active seismic area, as is Japan. We in California, and I as a former commissioner, those are the types of things you think about and worry about and want investigated before policymakers make a decision to move forward. That's all we asked for in California. That's all we suggested continually to the NRC that they think about for us, but it's not a bad idea for other people as well. And we'll drill down into a lot of those things uh, later. Joe Rubin, what's at stake for, for new nuclear? You cover the industry. What are the key issues you think we ought to talk about? Um, well, I mean, I, I think that we're, we're really a nation divided when it comes to nuclear energy. I mean, if you, um, if, if you look at what's been going on within the NRC itself, I mean, following Fukushima, the Fukushima Task Force came up with some recommendations to make nuclear plants safer, across the country, and basically he, he is uh, behind a go-fast approach. And the other commissioners are on a, go, a slower approach, consulting more with, with industry, um, more in, 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 the, uh, in the camp of, of NEI, and that, has, that completely blew up this, this year. Um, the other commissioners accused uh, Commissioner Yasko of bullying. Um, it, it, was a, it was an ugly debate within, within, within the Congress, and um, he said that basically that, that they're, uh, what, the, what the other commissioners w- were doing is putting the safety of the public fundamentally at risk and that we, we, we price should not, cost should not be a, uh, um, a factor. So, I mean, I think when it, I think the real issue right now um, is the old plants that we have in, in this country, the, the, the 104 reactors, all of which were, um, started, were, were, began construction at, before 1974. And many of them are aging. Many of them have, have, have had problems, such as David, Davis Bessie or Byron in, in Illinois. Um, and so, um, I think it's, it, it's, a, it's a pretty troubled industry. And I think that there's so many advancements going on in the, uh, um, in, in the, in the area of renewables that, I mean, there's a lot of question marks, I think, around new nuclear power. Marfortel, is it a troubled industry? No, I, I don't think so, though I, I, I agree with Jim, and I would agree with some of what uh, Joe said. Clearly, safety is number one, but it's certainly not a troubled industry. Also, to be honest with you, the plants aren't old in the way that they've been described. Everything in a nuclear plant that's moving, every valve, every pump, every motor, is changed out through a predictive, preventive, or corrective maintenance program. They're not old. Some of them are newer than what you have in your car or we have in our airplanes that we fly. Also, issues like uh, both uh, Jim and Joe referenced the Davis-Bessey corrosion of the reactor vessel head. They were not implementing the program that the rest of the industry was implementing to, corro- to control boric acid. That's why they had the problem. So the thing at a nuclear plant is you've got to do it, you got to do right what you're supposed to be doing. And when you're doing that, the plant is a very safe, very good operating plant. I totally agree with what Jim said about on license renewal. You've got to make sure it's safe. To be honest, you've got to make sure it's economic because to make it safe, it may cost me so much, I may decide it doesn't pay to go ahead and do that in some of the older plants, and you may see that at some point. But right now, what you're doing is you're implementing programs to make sure those plants are safe. But of there's 104 nuclear plants in the country, 71 of them, the licenses have been renewed. About another 32 are under re- review or intend to review. So, so far, everybody who, who owns a nuclear plant says, yeah, we want to run this thing for another 20 years because it's cheaper than building a new one. Uh, 
but is it really, does the NRC really dig into it and really proactively look for problems? Is the renewal process technically uh, thorough enough? It, it, it took the NRC about 10 years to define the renewal process. It takes them about three years to put you through the renewal process. What they look at are the systems that are not already in what they call age degradation type programs. So they're looking at things that aren't being looked at every day as part of their normal stuff. Also, Greg, what you have to keep in mind is you get a 20-year renewal. It does not say you can now operate 20 years and do whatever you want. They're still looking at you every day to make sure that you're operating safely. They can shut you down whenever they want to. And they can require you, as you'll see in the post-Fukushima environment, to impose all kinds of new requirements. Uh, Joe referred to the difference of opinion between the chairman and the other four commissioners. And I would say the chairman called me uh, right after their task force report came out. He said, I think we should try and get the high-priority things done in five years. I agree completely. Everybody is working to a five-year program. What the chairman wanted to do, which his colleagues didn't want to do, was he wanted to jump in and just say, we know what we need to do, go do it, and not get staff input. They had a report done by seven people. There's 4,000 people at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission with an awful lot of expertise. He wanted it to be fleshed out a little bit more with input from not only NAI, but stakeholders like the Union of Concerned Scientists and others. And that's what they've done, and they've issued orders and a bunch of other things subsequent to last year's report. Jim Boyd, you were the California liaison to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. It started off as an enthusiastic, uh, perhaps innovative regulatory agency, and then it changed. Tell us where the NRC is today. Are they as proactive uh, as Marfa just described? Um, a different point of view. I, I certainly agree with your introduction. I think I've said it before that, you know, what's wrong with the NRC? Well, they're not the young, aggressive agency they were once maybe – bureaucratic malaise creeps in, I don't know. But um, my concern is that they don't seem to respond to issues uh, rapidly enough or thoroughly enough. Um, And and the point I want to make is the seismic issues here in California. Um, When we raised the question about, well, when relicensing finally came up and one utility said, for sure we're going to relicense, the other said we're thinking about it, we began to raise the issue of the additional seismic studies that probably should be done utilizing the most current seismic um, technologies. Um, after all, Diablo Canyon went from a cost of under $500 million to a cost near $5 billion because they had to redesign, rebuild when they discovered a fault offshore. And as we argued about these studies a few years back, another fault was discovered offshore. Um, we suggested to the NRC You've got to look at the seismic activity before you relicense. They said, we do not consider seismic issues in relicensing. Wow. Is this before or after Fukushima? This is before. Before Fukushima. And they said further, we consider seismic issues every day, so to speak, because under the ongoing license provisions, we look at anything that's going on. If somebody brings something to to our attention, we'll look into it. And, And my only comeback before the U.S. Senate committee with the chairman sitting there also was we have been telling you for years we have published immense documents former commissioner Giesman who's sitting in the audience right now and I commissioned the first study in 30 years of nuclear in California and uh, a lot of questions were raised 
Um, what more do you need to know that you need to look at something? And yet they didn't. So to me, you know, California was on its own to look at California's issues and, and to see that something's done. I, I, I don't think they're captives of industry or anyone else. I just think they're caught in a bureaucratic maze of rules and regulations that have eliminated their youthful vigor when they were a young agency that would you would think have them pursue more rigorously things that are going on. Was Fukushima a wake-up call? What happened after Fukushima? Did the NRC then say, wow, we've got to pay attention to all this seismic risk that created this? Well, they certainly dove in with regard to Fukushima and what it represented, and they did their study, and they have their recommendations, and seismic is certainly part of that that recommendation process, and I cannot speak for them at the present time, and Mar may know more, what, what they're going to do with regard to the seismic studies that California says needs to be done. What Fukushima did for California is prod the utilities into moving forward with the seismic studies that we had argued for years need to be done. Um, but whether NRC takes that into account in relicensing, that remains um, to be seen. Joe Rubin, what is the U.S. doing to prevent a Fukushima from happening here? Is the NRC on the job? Are they on the watch? Um, well, I think it's a big NRC. I mean, there's 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 about 4,500 employees of the NRC, and um, I mean, I think you know we interviewed uh, Commissioner Yasko for our, our documentary that we did for the Center for Investigative Reporting, and you know I think he's very proud of those of, of, of those employees, and I think he is a believer in nuclear power. But I think what's worth pointing out is... He's also gone. But he's also yeah. gone, yes, yeah. yeah. But, I th- you know, I think his concern is basically that he feels that strong, you know, being a real regulator is what will save nuclear power and make it robust and make it be a part of our, our, our energy future. And I think that uh, he really worries that we are, you know, in a kind of bureaucratic way, he's not, a, you know, if you're editing uh, Commissioner Yasko uh, for a documentary, it's not, there's not a lot of flashy comments, but I think that he, you know, I think he's, he's really concerned that we could be heading towards some kind of calamity here. I think what's really worth pointing out, you know, in terms of after Fukushima is that it's, it's, it's kind of an amazing story what's happened in the, in the entire world. I mean, Germany, for example, um, which has the same proportion of nuclear power in their portfolio, about 20% is the United States, they are eliminating all nuclear power within the next 10 years. And they immediately took offline plants which are older than, I think, uh, uh, 30 years. Um, so um, they're heading in a different direction. I think Germany is really important to talk about, too, because they are most akin to California, because Germany has such an aggressive program. I mean, nowhere else is like it in the world in terms of their commitment towards renewables. And I think worth mentioning, just a couple weeks ago, they had, for the first time, 50% on a very sunny day in Germany. Um, there was solar, uh, the entire nation was powered by solar power. And so, I mean, of course, there's uh, reliability issues with solar power, but it still shows, I think, how far they've come and how serious they are about replacing this power. They're also planning to put $12 billion into the electricity grid to improve their ability to have more reliable solar, wind, biomass. So it's a real, it's a, it's, it's, it's not just a simple world where it's, you know, we're going to be, if, if we were to replace some of these plants where all of a sudden we're going to be living in a world where we're totally dependent on gas and, and coal, I, I, I don't think that the evidence actually bears that out. 
Marfertel, Germany is a very technologically advanced country, great engineers, they build great cars, lots of great products. Should the U.S. do what Germany's doing on nuclear power? No, and, and to be honest, uh, I, I, I think Joe characterized what Germany's doing partially correctly. Uh, before Germany decided to stop the nuclear program, Germany decided to continue to operate the plants for about another decade. That was pre-Fukushima. Pre they imposed a tremendous tax on the utilities to do that. They were going to generate billions of euros in taxes, and that's why they were going to do it. It was politically not very receptive within their country. After Fukushima, Merkel's party lost a very big state election almost immediately, and immediately they made what is maybe a good decision for Germany, but certainly a political decision on what they're doing with nuclear. They're buying a lot of nuclear electricity from the French, that may have been the only sunny day in Germany. Germany's not known for sun. So, so for, for solar to do it there, and I'm a fan of solar, Germany's not the best place. And if they don't spend the $12 billion, they won't be able to do it. Renewables are a wonderful thing. They ought to be part of the mix. They don't operate all the time. We need electricity all of the time. And that's one of the things that gets lost in the debate. I, there's no way you should ever operate a nuclear plant unsafe or it should be allowed to continue operating. But keep in mind how unsafe it is for society if you don't have electricity. There's 2 billion people with no electricity in the world, okay? And they are not living the lifestyle we live in California, New York, or even South Carolina. So we need to keep in mind why you have nuclear plants, renewables, and everything else. It's to provide electricity, Marv Fertel is CEO of the Nuclear Energy Institute. We're talking about nuclear power in America. Our other guests are Jim Boyd, former commissioner of the California Energy Commission, and Joe Rubin from the Center for Investigative Journalism. I'm Greg Dalton. Uh, Marv Fertel, let's come back to what the United States industry and government are doing to prevent a Fukushima yeah. in here. That's a, that's a really good. There's a lot of good lessons learned coming out of Fukushima, uh, but there's three really big important things that have come out of Fukushima. And don't, I'm not dismissing the other things. But the three big things goes first to what Jim talked about. Get the design basis right. Make sure you design for the appropriate hazards. And make sure your plant layout reflects that design basis. So if you've got a tsunami or a flood condition, don't put your diesels and your other switch, yard, switch gear in the basement in not watertight rooms so that you're going to lose them. So let's get it right. Make sure you do the layout right. The second one is even if you get all of that right, you have to be prepared for something that could happen that could take away all of your power, all of your AC power, because that's what you use to get water into the core and water into where the uh, used fuel is. So make sure you get that. And then the third thing is make sure you've considered how many units are at the site. The industry and the NRC, the NRC has actually imposed three new orders and two demands for information that have everything from walk-downs on seismic and flooding to what are you going to do for the loss of AC power. We think, and I think they believe, too, that the smartest thing we can do to deal with the AC power is to actually have a flexible concept where what we have is portable equipment, lots of it on site, alternative ways of hooking it up to get water into the vessel and water into the pool, and then we have off-site capabilities to come and enhance that over time for the long term. You're talking uh, diesel generators on trucks to bring power in, yeah, something like that? I mean, we have loads of diesels on sites right now. What we're looking at is mobile equipment on site, uh, diesel-driven pumps, uh, hookups into, contain into the vessel and other places that we know we can get to, but that if we couldn't get it in one way, we can come in another way. We learned this after 9-11. 
Okay, after 9-11, one of the concerns at the plants that the NRC had and the industry had was what if a plane hits a plant? And what we learned was different from the way you normally think about nuclear, where you make everything pretty rigid. I'm going to hook it up here. I'm going to get the water from there. Well, you didn't know where the plane would hit the plant. You didn't know where the jet fuel would go. And what you had to do was be flexible. So we basically did that from the standpoint of dealing with aircraft, but we didn't do it as robustly looking at other hazards, nor did we do it looking at multiple units. So we actually are taking a lesson learned from 9-11 and, and, to be honest, expanding it dramatically. And to us, that gives us the greatest immediate benefit from a safety standpoint, plus a bunch of other things that NRC wants us to do. And how much of this has already happened today versus, well, we're going to do it sometime when we can get around to it? Well, this is happening today. Uh, there's been about five or 600 pieces of equipment already ordered. Uh, we and in the industry committed by the end of March to have ordered all the equipment they think they'll need for what we're calling this flex approach. Our goal is to have it installed by the end of the year, have it on site. And then we're looking at these regional centers to bring more equipment uh, into the site. And, and again, I don't want to downplay the other stuff that the NRC has us doing as far as walk-downs for seismic and flooding and things may come out of that. And also, to, to, to Jim's point, uh, the NRC is asking everybody to do a reevaluation of their seismic and flooding design basis right now as part of this. I, I would actually, Jim, not propose it be part of license renewal personally. I think what we need is a process that the, we don't have, the NRC doesn't have. When you get new information on any hazard, a flooding hazard or a seismic hazard or a, a new chemical plant gets built next to my nuclear plant, and I have to worry about the chemical plant having an accident and it affecting the nuclear plant. How do I deal with that new information? How do I determine the significance? How do I deal with it over what time and stuff like that? that? That's a process that we actually think is the right process. You don't wait 10 years. You don't wait for license renewal. You need to do it in real time when the information becomes available. Jim Boyd, uh, California has a plant uh, that there's some uh, seismic questions about some new faults were discovered. It has not been uh, uh, up for renewal yet, though the, the utility that operates that wants tried to uh, push that forward. So where should nuclear uh, seismic issues be considered in relicensing? Well, I certainly would agree with Marv with regard to seismic should be considered all the time. But since nothing was happening there, our recourse was to say you can't go another 10 or 20 years without looking at that subject. Um, right now, um, Diablo Canyon, which, which uh, more and more faults are found offshore, is going finally through a process of getting permission to do the seismic studies. PG&E, the operator of Diablo Canyon, filed more than 14 years ahead of the, ex, the um, expiration, expiration date, date yeah. of their license, which we thought was a rush to judgment. Um, and frankly, you know, we got... We're not anti-nuclear. We're just a little concerned about the behavior of some people. So you've got to remember, I'm, I'm a, I use analogies of three-legged stools all the time, and it fits this one. You've got technology, you've got human beings, and you have Mother Nature. And it's all a system. And technology gets old. We've been waiting for years for new technology. Things wear down on weather. And you've got human beings who design, build, operate these facilities, we make mistakes as humans, and then Mother Nature has been totally unpredictable throughout my entire lifetime in terms of the potential. When you put those three things together in a system, you better be darn sure you've covered every single base. And I think uh, this discussion shows that 
We've not been too good worldwide as recognizing the risk. And I said before, um, big payoffs, but incredible risk. And if you're going to use nuclear, you had better make it is so foolproof that you make the decision to proceed with it. Two other things. The the nation has not solved the waste problem um, to this day. And when, when the nation embarked on nuclear power, the promise of the federal government was we've come up with a a facility or facilities to house the nuclear waste. That doesn't exist to this day. We're still keeping it on site at the plants. Some of us are uncomfortable with that. And the other thing is cost. I mean, the cost of these plants is horrendous. And so you have to do a cost amortization. Does that really give you cheap power? Does it really provide the environmental protection that you need? And that all has to be analyzed all at once. And we need a better system. Uh, Mark Fertel, uh, John Rowe is a retired CEO of Exelon, which is a Chicago-based utility that serves customers in Pennsylvania and Illinois and is the largest operator of nuclear power plants in the country. I'd like to read you a quote recently from John Rowe. Let me state unequivocally that I've never met a nuclear plant I didn't like. Having said that, let me also state unequivocally that new ones don't make any sense now. I'm the nuclear guy, and you won't get better results with nuclear. It just isn't economic, and it's not economic within a foreseeable time frame. Is John Rowe wrong? No, John Rowe is right for a merchant plant in a merchant market. John Rowe is not right for the fact that we're building four plants in the southeast right now, two in South Carolina, two in Georgia. It's a regulated market. Their public utility commission, their state legislators, and their governors have decided that natural gas is very cheap now, and that's what John's referring to, but they don't want to be locked into natural gas for the next 60 years, not knowing where the price will go. So they want a diversified portfolio. They are fortunately not a merchant market. Merchant market meaning, explain what that means. The difference uh, between a merchant market and about half our country has merchant markets right now, I'm basically bidding my electricity into the market. I'm competing with other sources. If I'm in a regulated market, I have a public service commission, they set a rate for what you as a residential customer, an industrial customer, commercial customer would pay. It has very little to do with what the price of electricity from that plant is. So they can actually take a long-term view. A nuclear plant is a 60-year asset. They can look at it and they can say, I have very good price stability over 60 years. I want to have diversified portfolio. I might have a carbon standard at some point. It was, it was point. originally only supposed to be a 40-year uh, well, plan, and now that's, that's, that's yeah, where, let's, where we are in the United States let's, now. Let's talk, that, let's talk that, about that. That game is yeah, let's, kind of let's changing. Let's talk about that, Joe. 40 years is what's in the Atomic Energy Act, okay? I have, for 20 years, been trying to find out where the 40 years came from. And the best two answers that I've heard is that's what they used to amortize investments over, and the second best answer was that's what the Federal Communication Commission used for licenses. Okay, nothing at a nuclear plant is designed to stop working in 40 years. Okay, as I said earlier, all the moving parts are in a maintenance program, predictive, preventive, or corrective. The non-moving parts, the reactor safety systems and other stuff that you look at, you analyze based upon a 40-year life because that's how long your license is, and the NRC says you got so much margin. But nothing is designed to fail. Now, I'm going to leave here in a little while and get on a 40-year-old airplane. And I certainly hope it's got the same maintenance program I know we have. And we all do that. 
So, okay, so the 40 or, 40 or 60 years. Jim Boyd? Well, I was just going to say I'm going to go back to the interaction of all these components, uh, the Mother Nature, human beings, and the technology. Um, the San Onofre plant, which we call Songs, um, it, it uh, is now having a materials, a significant materials problem brought on by design or materials failures in a, in a two-year-old steam generator. This is a nuclear and power plant near San Diego, near, California. Near San Diego. And yet, prior to that, the plant seemed to be pretty good. But I am aware, because of my responsibilities, that for years we had safety culture problems in that plant. Say, the strongest letter I ever wrote was to Edison about the safety culture in that plant. We found people dry labbing data. We found things not being done. We found stupid things happening. Um, and a complacency sets in. And you've got, I agree with Marv, you've got to do it right. You've got to do it right constantly. And we have to have regulatory checks and balances to make sure people do it right constantly. And right now the system doesn't provide for that. And everybody guesses at what Mother Nature might provide and probably undersized everything. Uh, and now we have worries about earthquakes, offshore tsunamis, and what have you. So it has to be done right. And some of the old plants are on the coast, do need to worry about seismic concerns that weren't even considered when originally built. Joe Rubin? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, things go wrong. I mean, the Union of Concerned Scientists just came out with a report, and they said there were 15 near misses just this year. I'm not counting the one more. Near misses of what? Near, near misses, the accidents which have, uh, things which went wrong at, at nuclear plants um, that, that, you know, that, that, they, that they feel could have, you know, been worse if, if, if uh, under dif- different circumstances or if there was a number of factors which happened at the same time. Um, I, I just wanted to point out a couple of things. One is, is I, I just want to get across, because I don't think it's, it's coming across on the stage, of what a dramatic story is going on in, in this country in terms of um, a real battle over really kind of challenging the whole notion of federal preemption when it comes to nuclear plants. If you look at New York State, you have Indian Point there. And you have, you know, first, originally, you know, Robert Kennedy Jr., who I know has been on this stage, has been a longtime critic of, of Indian, Indian Point and really led a big environmental movement uh, against it. But, I mean, the governor of, of New York, uh, Andrew Cuomo, is, uh, is, is, is fighting a pitch battle there. The, his attorney general, Eric Schneiderman, is filing success, successful lawsuits about fire safety, about, um, uh, uh, and, 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 and also forcing, um, as, as part of the renewal process, that the plan has to, has to, has to, has to undertake millions of dollars of, of improvements. Vermont, um, the, the governor, the, the state legislature, um, very upset about their plant there, which was re- which was re- recently renewed because of leaking tritium and a collapsing cooling tower. Um, Massachusetts um, uh, Governor Deval Patrick there completely against uh, Yankee Pilgrim, which was also renewed against the objections of, of Commissioner Yasko a couple of, of weeks ago. And so I think that this is worth pointing out because I think this is where we're heading in, in California. These are states where they are facing their 20-year renewal. You know, now or, or just recently faced it, and I think that you know this is going to become a major issue in the state. The what, other thing I, I just wanted to—I did. I, can I talk a little about my experience and our experience looking at um, seismic safety? Or well, let's talk about that? Yeah. California. The, these yeah. two in California, what they mean for the rest of the country. We have one with some operating problems right now. It's not clear whether uh, San Onofre will come back online or will it come back online at a lower capacity. 
the city of Irvine recently said uh, nearby said they want that to be not renewed and, and to be wound down. Uh, so, you know, is that possibly going to happen here at, at San Onofre near San Diego, Jim Boyd? Well, that, that, that's a good question. It may be economics that makes the decision. Nobody knows exactly what's wrong, um, and the cost of repairing what's wrong may be rather significant. Or if it's repairable, it'll never operate probably at the level it was predicted to operate. Will it operate at enough of a level to generate revenue to pay off the costs? Um, and then last but not least and most important, of course, is well, we better take a harder look at the safety issues associated with old plants and everything associated with them. That steam generator was supposed to last 40 years. They had to be replaced, and they said they could replace it and pay it off even within the current license. It wasn't a foot in the door to get relicensing, as some people allege. That remains to be seen. Um, we've concentrated on Diablo Canyon for seismic activity because more and more faults are found, but we've also asked for the same studies to be done offshore San Onofre. It was the oil industry doing explorations using technology years ago that discovered the fault offshore um, Diablo Canyon. It was multiple agencies, including the feds and PG&E, who found the second fault here a few years ago. But the federal agency and PG&E are arguing over whether it's a significant find or not. The federal scientists feel like it is connected. It could be significant. Look at Fukushima. Therefore, everybody should be assured that that we're relatively safe before a decision is made to continue operation of facilities and that they can be operated safely so we don't have a Fukushima or we don't have a major disaster. Because, as I've said before, um, the risk is incredible. You can blow up a gas plant, sorry to say that, or a coal plant, and you can have some disasters. If you mess up a new plant, well, just look at Chernobyl and, and Fukushima. So risks, rewards. Just Jim Boyd is a former commissioner of the California Energy Commission. Mark Fertel, uh, thoughts yeah. on, on could San Onofre be taken offline? It could it be oh. uneconomic to continue operating that plant? I, I, I can't answer that, Greg, without more, a lot more information. But what I, what I can say about San Onofre is uh, Jim pointed to safety culture problems, which were very visible within the NRC. The, it was clear they were all over them. Uh, but the thing I can tell you is I saw the, uh, Ted Craver's statement recently as the CEO, and he basically was very clear that he's going to make sure it's safe before he starts up or it won't start up. So I think that from a safety culture standpoint, that's what the people of California should feel good about is that there's a change in safety culture across that site led by the CEO. The other, the other. So I guess it'd be hard for a CEO to say, hey, it's not safe, but we'll start it up. I mean, they'd well, be hard I would never to... say that, but he didn't imply at all that it wouldn't start up. He said it may not. It'd be a really tough decision. So, you know, Take the man at his word for doing the right thing. The second thing is in Fukushima, I will not at all downplay the significance of Fukushima as an accident. But let me just put something in perspective. There's almost 20,000 people dead in Japan from the earthquake and the tsunami. There is no one dead. There is no one injured. And there's no one having health effects from the studies that they've done so far. And that doesn't mean there won't be down the road from Fukushima. Now, some of that is fortunate that the wind was blowing offshore most of the time. But what we saw here on TV the whole time was we saw the terrible accident at that nuclear plant. We saw trailers talking about 15,000 missing, 12,000 dead. That was the tsunami and the earthquake. The stuff washing up in Oregon, the stuff washing up in Alaska is not Fukushima. 
It's from the millions of tons of material, houses, boats, bodies probably, that were washed ashore, washed out to shore from, from that terrible tsunami that they had. Also, the actual Fukushima plant had no problem with the earthquake. It shut down safely from the earthquake. What killed Fukushima was the tsunami. Okay? We had an earthquake in Virginia last year. It was bigger than the design basis than the North Anna plant. It was 11 miles from the plant. There was nothing from a safety standpoint that was even dented, hurt, or whatever from that. And that plant was reviewed by the NRC and, and by the agency. There was no damage to any part of that plant from a safety standpoint. Jim Boyd? Uh, I just want to make the point that there's another nuclear plant in Japan, the world's largest nuclear plant, that suffered significant damage from an earthquake several years ago. Um, And Japan is, you know, they know they're an earthquake zone. They have designed basis to allegedly handle those situations, and yet this plant suffered fairly significant damage. Some of the units are not restarted. Um, from man's inability to get it right. Just on that, Jim, but, and Jim's right. That's the Kashiwazaki plant. There's seven units there. It suffered some damage. There was water that slushed out of the pool. There was tremendous damage to the villages and everything else around there. All the safety systems worked fine. The plant shut down safely and maintained safe shutdown. Yes, there was a lot of damage to the plant, but not from a safety but, but, standpoint. But I, I really don't, I don't think this is the point. I mean, I, I think the, the point is, is that there, there was, there, you know, the, how often we have core meltdowns, and we've now had two of them, and they're all different, and they're all different scenarios. And so um, it, it's really sobering, and they're happening much quicker than they are, they are you know, the, the science of, or the NRC or, or people in the field say they should be happening. So it's a big concern. I just wanted to talk about uh, what we found in our uh, research in terms of seismic safety and, and here in California, because I feel like it speaks to the whole culture issue. And this is something which has kind of haunted me. Um, so basically, the story with Diablo Canyon is um, there's, there's, t- there's two fault lines primarily in play there. There's the Hosgree Fault, which we've known about for some time, and that's about a, a four miles offshore. And then there is the Shoreline Fault, which is basically half of a kilometer from the reactors itself. And so this was discovered um, by a USGS scientist in 2008. And what, what I find troubling about that is, and, I'm, and, and, and Jim, I'd, I'd love to know if you agree with this or not, is I do not think that, and, and, and as a matter of fact, I'm pretty certain about this, if, if Fukushima hadn't happened, we wouldn't be having any studies whatsoever that, 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 uh, around that plant because... Um, I was there. I could feel in the state house in, uh, in, uh, in, in the capital here in Sacramento that changing. And I was there in the days after following Fukushima. And I heard PG&E's testimony. I heard the NRC's testimony. And they're saying the plan is safe. It's seismically safe. And we, and we also, the NRC is saying we trust the, what, what PG&E's seismic safety staff is telling us. I'm holding here in my hand. This is this is what this is what uh, kind of haunts me. Um, I'm holding in, in my hand here a, a graph, and this was basically in the period before Fukushima, when PG&E was 
was dealing with the aftermath of what the significance of this fault line is. And this is something we discovered in the, in the course of our investigation. And at one presentation, Norm Abramson, who is, is a, 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 an employee of, of, of PG&E and a, and, a, and a Cal Berkeley professor, um, he presented basically, he, okay, we don't think that this fault line, this is what he said, connects with the Hosgree fault. That's, we don't believe that. But what if it did connect? And he basically, in his presentation, he tried to downplay the significance of that, but he, 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 he showed this slide. And this slide... That's a hard thing to see. Yeah, the point is... The got, risk you is greater than the companies acknowledging you're saying. The point is, is that it, it was the, the, the level of shaking was above the level which could potentially cause core damage at the plant. You can, you can clearly... See it. Now he downplayed that, said it wasn't th- that much above it, and it was, you know, at a frequency which wasn't that important. So the risk so, could be significant at, at, uh, at that plant for seismic risk. Let's, let's, um, yeah, let's, and then, and then the, the point on. is, is that also is that the NRC, when we spoke to them, I mean, uh, we went, I went to Texas and we talked to the head of Region 4, and he told us basically, you know, yes, we fundamentally rely on what the utilities are telling us when it comes to seismic safety. So, um, now, since then, there's been some political pushback, and we are, we are seeing these studies go forward. But I feel like culturally I find it, it troubling, and I find it troubling that, you know, there's the potential that at this very moment that that plant could be at seismic risk. Jim, Jim Boyd? Let's well, I, can, I, I can't answer the question about <laughs> would we have the studies had there not been a Fukushima. But certainly, uh, Commissioner Byron, former commissioner, is also sitting in the audience, and he and I did... Um, one of the integrated energy policy reports, that uh, a couple of them, that the Energy Commission does. Um, and repeatedly, this agency has pointed out these issues. Um, they don't get a lot of traction with our legislature, unfortunately, or a lot of traction because there hasn't been a calamity to, uh, until there was a calamity, uh, except for uh, Legislator Blakesley, Sam Blakesley, Assemblyman, Senator, a Ph.D., seismologist, et cetera, et cetera, drove this issue like crazy in the California legislature and against our other energy agencies in California. I don't know if there would have been the studies. Thank goodness there are the studies, but California would have been pushing it, and it's hard to say if it would have been done. I think that's all. I am not anti-nuclear. I am for what is good for my, you know, my native state being a fourth-generation Californian and a 50-year just-retired public servant in California. What, you know, and, and, and a technological wonk. I mean, I'm waiting for the technology they've been promising all my adult life, and I'm waiting to see that we as humans do it right. And only when you can do that do I feel comfortable with the situation. So hopefully my agency will continue to prod, and the agencies that make decisions or our regulators will get in there and, and do what they have to do. We're discussing nuclear power in America with Jim Boyd, former commissioner of the California Energy Commission, Mar Fertel, CEO of the Nuclear Energy Institute, and Joe Rubin, a reporter for the Center for Investigative Journalism. I'm Greg Dalton. I want to pick up on something Mar Fertel said, which was the sort of the, the casualties from Fukushima, uh, and ask Joe Rubin and, and, and Jim Boyd, more people die because of coal than nuclear. You consider the particulates, the pollution, the disease. Coal is much more dangerous. More people have died in mines, uh, coal mines, than in nuclear power plants. Isn't coal much more dangerous environmentally than nuclear? Jim? That's a very interesting question. Um, and you're going to get into a debate about whether Chernobyl really, whether the data has ever been totally proven about how many people 
were affected by and will ultimately die because of their exposure. We won't know for years what happened in Fukushima and, and how people will be affected. We certainly know how their economy has been affected and whether or not they will make a vast wasteland out of a piece of real estate. I certainly don't agree that there's danger in every type of activity that we're engaged in and you need safe coal mining and, and so on and so forth. And I'm certainly not pro-coal um, unless coal can be made as safe as and as clean as health-wise as natural gas or something else that we had said was, that's what we want in California, something that burns at least as clean as a natural gas combined cycle power plant. Then we'll even think about it. But remember, efficiency is job one in California. That's the best thing to do. Um, renewables is job two, and then only clean generation is the third tier. So it's it's not a debate of the safety and health aspects of coal versus natural gas versus nuclear. And we don't know enough about nuclear. And what about the people who mine uranium and how have they been affected and process uranium? And look at what we did to all those soldiers during the years that we tested above ground and exposed them. And, you know, look at the years and years and years of knowledge accrued after um, the atomic explosions in Japan about what happens to, you know, the human species when it's subjected to this type of radiation. Do you want to take that gamble? Do you want to take that risk until you're assured of pretty much 100% that it isn't going to happen? Joe Rubin, quickly, we're going to move to uh, audience questions. Coal is more dangerous than nuclear. Now, well, I mean, first of all, nuclear is an impressive technology. I mean, 16% of our, of our energy in California comes from it. And putting aside the nuclear waste issues, I mean, it's, 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 it, it doesn't create air pollution. It's, it's clean carbon. I mean, there is a lot to be admired about, about nuclear power. And I'm not anti-nuclear either. I, I think what, 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 what I'm about and what, what good journalism is about is making sure the public is informed so they can make um, good decisions. But I think one thing I've actually been looking into is, is we have this incredible example here in California because we're going to have this debate over the next decade. And that debate is, should we, should these two plants be, there, should their license be renewed or should we go another course? And we have an incredible example, which is Rancho Seco in Sacramento, which voters shut down because it's a publicly owned um, uh, utility, shut down in 1989. And I think that SMUD, um, which is the utility there, Sacramento Metropolitan mm-hmm. Utility District, is um, would pretty much everyone would like to be a SMUD customer because their rates are 20% lower than PG&E. And there's some other impressive things about SMUD. And this is, I've spoke to people there, and they feel that this is because precisely they were able to get off this really troubled plant. They have, they, they, they exceeded their uh, level of renewables, 23%. Um, in, in 2010, and they feel that they're on track to have 38% renewables by 2020 for the AB32 goals. They have an incredibly impressive array of biomass and solar and wind power. Um, so I think that in terms of your question, I mean, I think the issue isn't how many people die from coal or how many people die from nuclear. It's what's smart, what makes economic sense, what, 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 what are the real safety issues that are involved, not you know, is coal, you know, more dangerous than nuclear? And, and on the economics, let's do this final point before audience questions. On the economics, uh, Marford Sell, uh, Dan Jurgen is one of the most uh, respected energy experts in the world, and he told Fortune magazine recently that natural gas will be the default fuel for new electrical generation going forward. The, the fact is that it used to be Greenpeace was against nuclear. Now it's greenbacks that are the problem, that the cost of natural gas is so cheap that it's just making nuclear a hard sell. 
Well, it's making anything but gas yeah. a hard sell. Uh, but now you have, you know, Friends of the Earth and Sierra Club against gas. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens, Greg. There's no question we're going to build a lot of gas in our country for a while. There's also no question that two-and-a-half-hour gas won't stay two-and-a-half-hour gas. Natural gas, we're talking. Right, yeah, natural right. gas. Right, so that, that price will go up. Let's go to our audience questions. Yes, sir, welcome to Climate One. Uh, thank you. My name is Craig Bramer, and I've been pro-nuclear pro all my life, actually. I, I like the technology. But uh, in the, since Fukushima, I've been paying attention to find what happened to Arnie Gunderson at uh, Fairwinds. And he's been the only person, my, my uh, awareness, who's actually tried to explain what actually happened. And he's certainly been critical of the uh, Mark I uh, boiling water reactors and basically maintains they should be shut down. But since we're talking California, I'd like to uh, bring into the, uh, uh, the forum Santa Susana. And there, that was Ventura County back in the late 50s. I remember an early memory of mine on TV watching one of the newscasters flip a switch, turned on the lights to more, the city of Moore Park in Ventura County. The first uh, reactor, they had about five or six reactors going there in the Santa Susana Mountains between Simi Valley and Moore Park. Three of those reactors had meltdown, and almost nobody talks about it. It's just one of those things that was ignored back in 1959 because nobody particularly cared. But if we're talking nuclear energy in California, Santa Susana needs to be brought to the fore because that's where we've had significant nuclear damage threatened all of Los Angeles, the Southern California, and nobody knew. One of the local hospitals down there had a floor dedicated to cancer from the Santa Susana employees. Thank you. Let's uh goes back. So uh not with no comment on, on who remembers that time or age here. <laughs> it is uh, a Jim or Marv? I have no knowledge of I'm I'm aware of it. Um, appreciate the gentleman bringing it up. It is not something that's been in the dialogue on a regular basis. It, it, they were small, but there was a dilemma. And, yeah, you could extrapolate that up. It was a long time ago. Hopefully we're a lot better at doing things. But some people paid uh, an ultimate price for that, and they're still cleaning it up. And it's still off limits to an awful lot of people. And the Humboldt plant was closed down many years ago because it got old. It was early generation, but closed down in the nick of time when earthquake projections began to show that would be a, a tough sell. So, I mean, the Gen 1 and Gen 2 stuff, Gen 1 stuff is really old, yeah. and, and and it probably should be closed down. Gen 2 we're dealing with right now in our dialogues about California and promises of what Gen 3 and Gen 3 Plus might bring us. Um, hopefully, we, you know, we humans learn a lot, and maybe you can do things right. Maybe. Let's have our next audience question. Welcome. Thank you. My name is Gar Smith. I'd like to uh, point out that it's not technically correct that nuclear reactors produce electricity. They produce heat. The heat is used to produce the electricity <laughs> sent to a generator. Boiling water. Okay. Right. Many ways to produce heat. Water. Uh, some people <laughs> call it the most uh, uh, expensive way to boil water. Uh, there's one other thing that uh, nuclear reactors produce that is uh, seldom mentioned. It was not mentioned at this uh, discussion. It's the nuclear waste. Uh, it's the major product that these plants produce, and that poses a major problem. Uh, also, it's not the case that uh, nuclear reactors are always on 24-7. Nuclear reactors, after a couple of years, have to be shut down to replace a third of their core fuel, and those uh, shutdowns can last for at least a month if you're lucky. And if there's an unplanned shutdown, those plants can be offline for, well, as we've seen uh, in Japan and elsewhere for months, if not years. Thanks. So let's point taken on the waste. We skated over the waste. We didn't give it justice. 
It hasn't been solved. The federal government's not fulfilling its obligations to build a centralized repository. Uh, Mara Fertel, is, is the waste problem going to get in the way of, uh, of more nuclear? Well, I mean, the first thing I'd like to mention on the waste problem is to compliment your senior senator, Senator Feinstein, for her leadership in the Senate right now. Uh, she has gotten legislation in an appropriations bill that will definitely be in the uh, appropriations process at the end of the year to begin the process to move waste out of Humboldt, uh, certainly from all the shutdown sites quickly, and uh, to create a consolidated storage site. To, to your bottom line question, uh, we generate about 2,000 metric tons of waste uh, from the 100,000 megawatts or so that we have. Uh, it's very toxic stuff that you got to handle really well. It's not a lot of material to take care of. Uh, if it wasn't for the opposition of a senior senator from Nevada, we might actually be moving forward on licensing or seeing if we could license a repository uh, in Nevada, which I think most people believe probably could get licensed. So we'll see. I, I have confidence, to be honest, that the uh, Senate, uh, led by Senator Feinstein right now, will take action to get a program in place based upon this Blue Ribbon Commission report that the president commissioned and that uh, came out in January of this year. Quick comment. I'm somewhat a political scientist and a policy wonk, and and maybe the problem with Yucca Mountain is that it was more of a political decision than a scientific decision. Um, put it in that remote, in the middle of nowhere place where there's a nuclear test facility anyway without paying attention to all the answers to all the questions. And then Nevada grew up and got powerful, and, and they start, they're going to start all over again, I think, in terms of finding a site. Let's have our next audience question. Welcome. Hi. My name is uh, Bob Gould. I'm a pathologist. I'm also president of the San Francisco Bay Area Chapter of Physicians for Social Responsibility. And I'd like to just raise a, a few questions that anybody... If you could keep well, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah just a number a of points Thanks. for people to address. Uh, one thing that was said was, I think, really minimizing what the greenhouse contributions of nuclear plants are because... Although when operating, they're not producing the carbon dioxide, there's a great deal of fossil fuels used in the construction of such plants, and we have to take a life cycle approach towards health, including uranium mining, et cetera. We also have to consider for the future what the impacts of climate change are going to be, and we're already seeing in terms of the flooding that took place in the Missouri River, the vulnerabilities of, for example, the Calhoun reactor to backup systems and the like. And I also think that we also need to be able to talk about the fact that we don't have the public health infrastructure in our country to deal with disasters of the sort that we've seen in Fukushima. Hundreds of thousands of people live within the 50 miles of nuclear power plants that our own country uh, suggested would be the appropriate evacuation zone for our own citizens and soldiers in Japan. There have been a number of reports dealing since 9-11 about the deficiencies of laboratories to be able to diagnose nuclear injury, to have the basic uh, facilities and personnel being able to address this issue. So I think we have to be very clear about what the public health implications are. We also have to think about the proliferation issues that are dealing right. with. we got three there. Thank you. Um, okay. So, so that we're not ready for a nuclear disaster, Mark Fertel? Well, I think I think – First of all, I think we're doing everything to make sure commercially we don't have a nuclear disaster. I think post 9-11 it was an awful lot of dirty bomb discussions uh, as well as worrying about nuclear plants. So I would say that 
yes, we're ready, and we're going to be even better because you're taking lessons learned, not just from Fukushima, but the NR. This is a place where the Nuclear Regulatory Commission was ahead of the Fukushima accident. They had revised their emergency planning rule before it, which required a whole bunch of new things. So I think we will be ready. But those are real issues that you have to address uh, in a meaningful way. And life cycle analysis, Jim Boyd, you know, the, people often talk about the generation. There's fossil fuel inputs into nuclear power plants. Is that significant in a greenhouse gas perspective? It, it is significant. And, and, and I, Professor Jacobson of Stanford has raised this in some of his analyses of, of the cradle-to-grave analysis that should be done. I mean, we're into this life cycle analysis business. We should do it to everything so you can make a fair comparison. Um, I think nuclear comes out still the cleanest in terms of climate change, but then weigh it with the risk. But nonetheless, you've got to do all of that, and there are consequences. And there may be public health consequences, as I said before, that we don't even know the final outcome uh, of. Let's have our next audience question. Welcome. Yes, thank you. Uh, Patricia Port. I think we need to uh, bear in mind that so many of the earthquakes reported from all over the world by the U.S. Geological Survey are on previously unknown faults. Jim Boyd, it does seem that new faults appear, and we and uh, Mark Patel faults that we, you know, the one in Maryland, right? That was that was touche. I mean, uh, you know, I, I grew up in the Central Valley, which I was as a child told that we're earthquake proof. You know, it's just a big soft, spongy pile of dirt. And well, now I think we've discovered the whole mantle of the Earth is is made up of of cracks in the crust and this, that, and the other, and and it's. It's something to be concerned about. But the ability of scientists to understand it better is also improved dramatically. And so you're going to go through this process of weighing the knowledge. The key thing is to do use all the technology you've got at the moment you have it. Don't drag it out over time, as some people I think are guilty of doing, in order to rush to judgment and not get the, all the answers you could get. Then make the decision. Mark Fertel, should the Nuclear Regulatory Commission pay more attention to earthquakes, make it part of re uh, re uh, plant renewal? Again, I, one, they are paying a lot more attention to it. They, to be honest, they were paying attention, but probably not on the path or the speed that Jim would have liked to see. Uh, they are paying more attention. I would not care whether it's part of renewal. I, like I said, we ought to learn to deal with new information in real time, not make it part of renewal or a 10-year cycle. Do it when, it when you get it and figure out if it's significant and then figure out how to handle it. But they, should a plant like San Onofre or like Diablo Canyon be relicensed with great uncertainty about the seismic risks for that plant? I, I think that they'll resolve the seismic risks based upon the 3D studies they're trying to do now and the analysis that they'll do. And I think that they'll go ahead and look and see whether or not – it doesn't matter if it's relicensed, Greg, because you could have that come up the day after it's relicensed and you'd want them to look at it and not care that they just had another 20-year license. I, I agree so that there's been, you know, tremendous advancements in seismology and that we, we are getting better at understanding. But I don't think that there'll ever be – there will always be a great deal of uncertainty around places like San Onofre and, and particularly around Diablo Canyon. And so I think it becomes just a question of human judgment and political judgment as to whether or not we might want to say – um, okay, well, this plan has been in existence for 40 years. We probably wouldn't have built it if we knew it was right underneath a, a, a large earthquake fault. Perhaps this, it's, it's, it's good to retire it or not. I mean, or we're willing to live with those risks, I think. But I think it has to be a pretty, you know, s serious debate as to whether it should go forward. 
Joe Rubin is a reporter with the Center for Investigative Journalism. Our other guests at Climate One today are Marv Fertel, CEO of the Nuclear Energy Institute, and Jim Boyd, a former commissioner of the California Energy Commission. Let's have our next audience question. Welcome. John Hurst. I'm at UC Berkeley. Um, I, I'm encouraged that at least one person mentioned a uh, real concern about the waste issue and the way it's stored because it is potentially a hazard uh, above and beyond everything else we've been talking about. But uh, what troubles me about the entire discussion is that we're kind of embedded in the economics of, of electricity generation. And I think uh, in a design for nuclear plants that was settled on a long, long time ago as a universal design for all of the nuclear plants that are made in the U.S., uh, there have been advances that have been promoted in, in France, and I've heard people come to the Commonwealth Club and talk about the plutonium reactors and, and ways maybe to generate uh, nuclear energy in the absence of the use of water. So there, there are things going on, and there is very little in the discussion today that has any of that forward-looking attitude towards it, and uh, I would like so to So, new technologies. Can, are we, we inside a box here? Are there new technologies no. out oh, there? In that fact, do? John, thanks for the comment. Uh, the, the plants being built in Georgia and South Carolina are the most advanced technologies in the world right now. And basically, they've got a lot more passive systems. If a Fukushima-type accident happened with those plants, if they were there in Japan, uh, the plants would basically be able to go 72 hours with no power, keep the reactor core cool, they could go 30 days and keeping the used fuel pool cool. So the problem you had at Fukushima, if you had the designs that we're building now in our country, would have probably never digressed to the accident conditions that they saw because they would have had so much more time to be able to take corrective actions. And it's because the U.S. design now is the most advanced. Now, can they get more advanced? Absolutely. Let's also talk about briefly uh, small modular reactors, the idea of, of smaller nuclear power plants. Bill Gates is backing a company called TerraPower, which is uh, using depleted uranium. Supposedly, we're going to produce less waste. Quickly, Mark, for telling those two. Small modular reactors right now are something that in our country there's a lot of interest. Internationally, there's a lot of interest because if you have a country without a large grid, you don't want to put very large power plants on it, be it nuclear, coal, or anything else. Uh, yes, Bill Gates is uh, looking at a very advanced reactor. It jumps well beyond where everybody else is looking right now. But he's going to go build it in China because he can't get through the regulatory approvals fast enough here. I'm not sure that's what I would encourage him to do. Uh, I think you're going to see in our country the Department of Energy has a solicitation out right now to fund, jointly fund, uh, and it won't be real joint, it'll be about a third them and two-thirds the companies, uh, two new small modular reactor designs, and that's out on the street. There's four companies bidding that, and we'll see where it goes, but it might be a real breakthrough, not just for our country, but actually as a big export market opportunity. Let's have our next audience question. Yes, sir. Hi, my name is Angelo Festa. I live in San Francisco. And so far... Uh, Maybe I missed something. I don't think I dozed. But um, I, all of the vulnerabilities that you've mentioned have been na natural in nature. You know, tsunamis, fault lines, etc. What about us? What about people? If I were a terrorist, I don't think, that, and I wanted to do serious damage as far as the infrastructure is concerned, I wouldn't go attacking windmills. 
Luke, Jim Boyd, you mentioned human vulnerability. Let's but uh, let's wrap up. Yeah, there. Well, um, I mean, I've obviously been deep into the subject ever since 9/11, and while we did really encourage the NRC to look at the design basis threats, design criteria, and maybe um, and, uh, make them more rigid in some cases, um, I. Uh, I think the psychological threat of a, a, attacking a nuclear plant is far beyond the real threat of causing harm. I mean, it would take lifetimes of, of terrorists to slice through a, a dry cask uh, or get in the containment building. Um, the spent fuel pools, that's something we have worried about to the NRC. Um, admittedly, they seem a little more vulnerable and what have you. Um, I, I'm more concerned about a dirty bomb I'm more concerned about all the nuclear material running around in our society it has nothing to do with nuclear power or military being aggregated into a, a dirty device than I am about a nuclear plant. So if I was a terrorist, I'd, I'd blow up the switchyard of a nuclear plant, scare the living daylights out of millions of people, and I do not think there would be a radiation threat. That's, that's my assessment from the years I spent on this subject. That's not the, the reason for, not, uh, for, for attacking uh, nuclear power plants, I think, in terms of we want them or we don't want them. Um, there, are, there are a few vulnerabilities. They need to spruce up the ability to repulse any kind of attack. You can't take a plane out of the air. But I think we need to harden the spent fuel pools in some cases, and, and I don't think that's the thing to really worry about in spite of all the Hollywood movies that, that uh, make it a threat. I think um, Mark Fertel, let, let's, let's wrap up uh, on the future. Four plants are underway right now. Will more get built than those four underway right now in Georgia and South Carolina? We, we, we've been saying for about three or four years now, so it's pre-Fukushima, that in our country, because of the recession, because of shale gas and the drop-off in electricity demand, we saw four plants. We were thinking four to eight, but we really saw four by 2020. We think there will be more in the pipeline for construction, there's 10 more getting their licenses from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. But I don't think we'll see a lot more than four operating by 2020. I do think you'll see more in the pipeline for both uh, licensing and construction by 2020. But Joe Rubin, is that good for America? They'll have, we'll build some new ones and continue to relicense the existing ones? Um, I, I, I don't know what's what, – I can't say what's good for America. Yeah, okay, let's, that was a little broad, wasn't it? Yeah. Let's, let's not good for America. Um, but I think that uh, it's – you know, there's a lot of – I mean, the, the issues around nuclear power still exist. It, it still needs um, loan guarantees from the federal government. There's no insurance company that will touch a nuclear plant. And the, liabil- the liability is um, limited to $22 billion, which would come from, 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 the, from the nuclear power industry. So um, – and as we saw, you know, at Fukushima, I don't know what the eventual cost will be, but some people say half a trillion dollars in terms of damages. So okay, we raised I don't, don't know – I think – I guess I'll go, just go back to answer your question to something I said earlier, which is I think we're a nation divided. Um, it's not surprisingly. We're, we're a pretty polarized society, and I think there are some states which are much friendlier to nuclear power than, than, than others. In California, we, we are prohibited from building any new plants here until this, the, the waste issue is solved. So Mark Fertel, you bristled at the subsidy issue or the, the liability shield. Well, for, first of all, on, on loan guarantees, no plant has a loan guarantee yet. Southern Company is still talking about it. They don't have it. Uh, it would reduce the cost of capital, which saves their customers money. The risk to the government is about zero. It is not a project financing. It's on the balance sheet of Georgia Power, which has been around for 100 years uh, and is very solid as a company and as other things. 
on, on insurance, basically you have an exemption to have to have any insurance for nuclear because it's covered by the Price-Anderson law. So you don't need it. I don't need it. Joe doesn't need it because it's excluded from a requirement because you're covered by what we have to do under Price-Anderson. So I, I think we just need to be careful sometimes about looking at certain things as subsidies that really aren't subsidies. We have to end it there. Mar Fertel is CEO of the Nuclear Energy Institute, the Trade Industry Association for the Nuclear Industry. Jim Boyd, former commissioner at the California Energy Commission. And Joe Rubin, Center for Investigative Journalism reporter. I'm Greg Dalton. Thank you all for joining Climate One today.